here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Mtata. On SAFM. A second time, lucky. Hopefully, we shall be. Good evening, Tim Hart. Dr. Tim Hart, good evening. You're live on SAFM. This is not working. Dr. Tim Hart and I should be, and hopefully, we'll yet have a conversation with him in relation to the work of the HSRC, talking about the findings of a study that sought to investigate how South Africans with disabilities experienced COVID-19. The study primarily looked at the socioeconomic, well-being and human rights related experiences of people with disabilities. According to Dr. Hart, this was possibly one of the largest databases on people with disabilities, COVID-19 experiences in a single country. According to the study, people with disabilities experience significant household shocks, with nearly 76% experiencing difficulties to pay for basic living expenses, 73% of households needing assistance experiencing interruptions, and many more reporting interruptions in access to essential disability and rehabilitation centres. Communication also remained one of the major challenges experienced by people with disabilities who reported very little government intervention. Dr. Hart says the disability rights disaster framework is far from complete and that it must be completed rather urgently. He also raised concern over missing disability data. I understand Dr. Hart is now on the line. Dr. Hart, good evening. Welcome to SFM and thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you, Svonveza and your listeners. I apologize for being late, but there seemed to be a problem connecting my hearing aid uh, to the system. Um, we had everything else sorted out, but not the communication side. All's so well that patience. ends well. All's well that ends well. So thank you so much for joining us. Perhaps if you will, just a very quick synopsis of bird's eye view, if you like, what necessitated the study, what the key findings of the study were, what alarmed you as a reality that you hadn't perhaps anticipated. But more than that, given the fact that there's so much data available, the potential of its use to be able then to correct some of the figures that the research highlighted. Okay, thanks, uh, Sanzezo. I think the first thing is um, just to, I mean, you've asked me several questions there, but let me just uh, start off initially. Uh, you know, globally and also in South Africa, the responses to the control of spread of, of COVID-19 and looking at ways of sort of um, reducing or mitigating the effects of COVID-19 was very data-driven. However, if one looks at that, um, there was still very little data focusing and including people with disabilities. So the research was not, uh, it was more of a general nature and very little actually focused on people with disabilities. So just to give you an idea, our, our survey, which is small, it's one country in the world, was probably the largest online survey uh, around the world focusing on uh, people with disabilities uh, exclusively. Um, and we had, in, uh, at the end of the day, we had something like 1,857 people in South Africa responding. So that's why we say it's pretty large um, and probably the largest in Africa. Um, 
one of the challenges is that if you compare uh, across different groups of vulnerable people, so you talk about people with disabilities, the poor women, children, the elderly, and so on, you see that the proportion of research allocated around to people with disabilities is generally small um, in, in comparison to the others. Um, so you've got, you've got in South Africa, um, about 15% of the population have some health impairment uh, that can be disabling in certain social and physical environments. All right, so we've got about 15%, uh, and, and this figure is slightly higher than what StatsSA uh, provides, but StatsSA is in agreement that uh, it should be around 15%. Um, 15%. So, and just because of the challenges and the difficulties of actually doing research on this, on this, you know, sector of the population, um, they, they're very difficult to get hold of at some, in some respects, because we don't really have a complete list or database, uh, that we could go around and knock on doors of everybody. So, uh, even the census data doesn't seem to provide us with all the information that we need. Isn't just that last point a bit of, a question mark in relation to the def- the effective deployment of state resources because if this community of South Africans, citizens, are not necessarily known or cannot be reached, how then are state resources and even private resources able to effectively engage, deploy, get them into the mainstream this, if you will, is a serious compromise in the integrity of citizens feeling like citizens in their community. Uh, you're quite right. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, let's not be overcritical of uh, those people who don't have disabilities, but there is, um, it is very difficult if you don't know the population. but. Uh, you know, having said that, and I can, you know, I can empathize as well with the, you know, you know with the attempts that the state and other people do make, but we don't have a comprehensive legislation. So people with disabilities fall under the uh, constitution and then also under discriminatory legislation, but there, and, uh, you know, the labor legislation and so on. So, um, they they don't have their own legislation, which I think is imperative. And I know the state is working on it. The um, Department of Justice is working on getting um, uh, a law in place. So that is something they need to do. But yes, you're right. I mean, it, it's very difficult to uh, focus on this. But despite that difficulty, I would think and I would expect and I would hope to see more uh, how can I say more more inclusion than what we see at the moment? So um, becoming disabled is part of the life cycle. Uh, as you get older, you're going to have uh, um, challenges. So what's interesting, just to give you an example, for my and with myself, I've I've always been hearing impaired. But now I start seeing some of my colleagues a year or two younger or a couple of years older who are now also having to wear hearing aid. Um, not that their hearing impairment is, is as severe as mine, but they still battle to hear in certain situations. So it's something I think that's going to affect all of us. It's the same with the other sensory um, um, impairment, which is visual. All right, it's the same thing. And then, you, you know, as people get older, they... And develop uh, back problems, challenges using their limbs and that. So at some time in our life cycle, there's a good chance that we would become 
uh, a person with a disability. So we should be more sensitive to this and we should be able to address these things um, you know, far better than I think the way they are addressed at the moment. Um, yeah. How much then of all of that is being addressed by the disability inclusive policy document? Because I think from the policy then can come the parliamentary documents which might land being the necessary legislative framework that then co coordinates all of what you say. Well, I mean, if you look at it, say your main policy document here would be, well, in South Africa, when I say here, would be your white paper on the rights of people with disabilities, which was approved by Parliament at the end of uh, 2015. And along with that was another document called the Implementation Matrix. So those those two documents were, you know, sort of work hand in hand, and they also link... um, backwards, if I can put it that way, to Mm. the National Development Programme. But, you know, it's a a matter, I think the one challenge is, to be fair, there's a challenge of how we define disability. Uh, Some departments are far stricter than others. Um, My personal experience is that uh, disability should be self-defined. In other words, it's not something that uh, health health professionals will actually be able to um, um, diagnose uh, that something is disabling. They will be able to diagnose that there's an impairment, but how disabling that impairment is, is not something that I think health, health professionals can actually uh, um, um, diagnose. They can only diagnose the existence of the impairment. Um, with anything, I think you've got to have, whatever your policy is, you've got to have the regulations and you've got to have the ability to enforce them. And, I mean, we see that across the board in South Africa. We have challenges enforcing mm. uh, just basic law and order. Um, now we want people to enforce uh, the hiring, employment, um, you know, creating small businesses, providing access for people with um, disabilities. And as there is no law, it's very difficult for for somebody to actually, you know, regulate and enforce this. And I think most of the most of the courses that have come, uh, sorry, most of the cases that have come before court have actually been um, really in the field of labor and not uh, any other field. So if I can't get access to a supermarket, uh, I haven't actually taken anybody to court about it. It's more labor related stuff that goes to the court. Let's talk about access to healthcare services and repairs for support, all the things that really give meaning to the everyday life, even access to state news. A lot of the time you might find on high-profile government events that are flighted on television, they might be in the context of hearing-impaired persons, for instance, a trans or a sign language interpreter. But those happen few and far between. I'm really talking about the lived experience, access to buildings, just to ordinary buildings, and whether or not they are wheelchair friendly, sidewalks, pavements in this country. How often do you see where there is digging up for cables to be installed, and then as soon as that cable is installed, just dirt is piled over and then the contractor is gone, no follow-up. Just the integrity of the infrastructure, if you like, and the distribution of information, which does not contemplate sufficiently anyway, the inherent challenges for those who are living with disabilities that they might need. I wouldn't say special dispensation, but contemplation. I, I agree with you, Sonzeza. Um, 
it is a tricky one because even when they're digging up the pav pavements, they're not really digging them up to make anything more accessible for people with disabilities. So, as you said, when they put a new cable and they're making the, the end result, it looks worse and it's, uh, the experience Correct. is worse for people with uh, disabilities. Um, so the lift experience is quite challenging. I mean, a lot of people in our survey reported challenges with getting access to public transportation. Um, so there is, I mean, there, there have been many things, I think, put on the table in terms of various cities uh, or metropoles around, around South Africa, but they've never really taken off. Um, so instead of bus systems and that that were going to be introduced and so on for people with disabilities, that hasn't taken off. Um, so that is, I mean, that is one of the challenges. Uh, the, the interesting thing is if you go to a building where they have, instead of a turnstile of a, and, a, and stairs, they have a ramp and then they have a, a, a kind of little glass door barrier that you can walk through, uh, you'll find everybody uses that. Uh, whether they are a person with a disability or not. Yes. So you could, in a sense, say that a lot of these things could be done away with and we could just work on one thing which provides us with access. So um, another example would be that if you're in a, a room where you're having a conference or something, people do hear, uh, sorry, people do uh, hear better if there are subtitles on display or closed captions. People do see better if there's lighting and you would need good lighting if people were to see um, a sign language interpreter. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, value that goes not only for the people with disabilities but also for the so-called uh, non-disabled group or normal people, um, or people without disabilities. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's just I think it's a matter of trying to get that mind shift as to there are differences, but we can we can make this more inclusive by doing away with the differences. The differences to me are not so much in the uh, physical impairment, in other words, so the medical approach to things, but it's more in the social uh, social way we look and understand these, uh, uh, or the effect of it. It's not the effect of the impairment, it's how we understand the impairment. So uh, you guys were very patient with me um, when I was trying to connect up on the audio, and I really appreciate that, and it would be good if other people were as patient as you had been. Um, and I know I held up your your discussion for a while, but it's it's that type of um, we need that sort of acknowledgement um, because I think it helps everybody. And I think by helping um, or assisting people with disabilities become more comfortable in certain environments, I think it's going to help others too in the long run because they will need, as I said, uh, people age, they get and they get mm. and they have impairments. They're not necessarily clinically de uh, defined or yes, diagnosed sure. as being a person with a disability, but they have an impairment in reality. Which in some situations will be disabling. Yeah. Talking about that, and I certainly appreciate the remark that you make, and yeah, credit to the production team. And thank you for saying that. I think it just forces me now to be that much more conscious as well, given the positivity of that experience of just waiting, what, five minutes? What's five minutes mm. in this context? But can we talk about the social responses to persons with disabilities in the light of these COVID times? I was just minded to think that because of the advent of work from home becoming more and more of a thing, to an extent, one's disability shouldn't count as much for recruitment purposes. I mean, 
so what if I am disabled as a former might require me to fill in if I will be working from home in any event? More especially when that disability is not going to affect my ability to participate, say, for instance, on Teams and Zoom. Are we seeing changes in recruitment patterns, therefore? In other words, are we seeing more and more disabled or persons with disabilities participating in the mainstream economy, economy, getting recruited because the challenge it would be in the workplace for that person's disability has altogether fallen away from working from home? Um, I can't tell you if, that, if, there, if there's a change. Um, I think somebody needs to do some research about that. Uh, it might be a bit too early as well because we never seem to reach our targets uh, for employing people with, with, with disabilities, even pre-COVID. Um, so before March 2021, um, we weren't reaching targets. I mean, nobody nobody's really reaching targets. There might be one or two organizations and one or two provincial government departments, but otherwise nobody's actually reaching their targets. And now the targets have actually gone up. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it would be, I mean, I think the point that you're making is vital. And that is that you're at home, you can control your environment and therefore you or not uh, how you work and what you do is not defined by the environment uh, that you might find in an office. So uh, there might be stairs, there might be things that you have, you know, challenges that you have to uh, sort of negotiate when you're in, an, you know, somebody else's office building. But in your home, you probably don't have those challenges or you've been able to overcome them. Um, so I think that's, I mean, I think that's crucial. I couldn't speak for, I couldn't speak for everybody because there's also, uh, I know a lot of my colleagues had, had uh, I wouldn't call it mental challenges, but a lot of them like the office environment. So they don't necessarily want to be working from home uh, full time. But other people, of course, um, you know, when it comes to a person with a disability, they may well, uh, it may be, you know, it may be easier for them to, uh, fit in and organize their schedule around their sort of home environment. They've probably got sure. all the necessary um, infrastructure there to, you know, to help them. Um, so I think it's very much a case-by-case case, um, thing. But I do know that some people find working from home a bit tedious, but then I've worked from home for many years. So it's, uh, for me, it, just hasn't, it wasn't really a change. Um, sure. Except for things like Zoom and all that. I mean, they became really helpful because you had subtitles and all that stuff that were missing from a noisy boardroom conversation. Fair enough. I mean, so there are certain wins. From this study, what other, I mean, this is the final question, what other interesting findings or statistics or indicators can you work with to try and obviously get optimal returns for persons living with disabilities that you might want to share with us? Well, I think I think the one that you've already raised is this issue of employment. And I mean, I'm glad you raised that because that is a key thing. Um, it doesn't help having targets if we sort of 1% and our target is 7% of the people employed should be a person with a disability. Um, we seem to have been able to reach gender, you know, gender targets in many uh, areas or many businesses, um, including the private sector, the same with uh, uh, racial targets and, you know, many targets have been reached, but uh, again, also, you know, qualified people and all that, and those things seem to be reached, but we don't seem to be reaching the um, target for 
um, persons with disabilities um, for, for, for some reason. And I think it, maybe it just goes back to the fact that we don't know who they are. Although they, there are many NGO employment agencies, if I can call that, where one could go to to actually get you know, a list of people. Um, and I think if those are not comprehensive enough, then there should be funding put aside to actually um, foster something like that so that one could be more aware of the people with disabilities out there who are doing, I mean, fantastic things. And some of them might be looking for employment, but I mean, I, I've, I've just joined a, a network of people. And I mean, it's amazing to see, I mean, you've got, you've got teachers, you've got uh, statistical analysts, you've got uh, uh, people working in uh, um, um, disabled people's organizations, there's a DJ, um, there's all sorts of interesting people that are actually part of this network. And it's, it's just, I mean, it's very welcoming to see that. Um, the other thing that I think, uh, so let me just, I think I'll just mention two things briefly. The one thing is mm. that access to healthcare has always been a challenge. And what our study and other studies that were, under, uh, that were undertaken in the past few years very clear about um, that this COVID experience exacerbated people's access to health health services, um, and that was a challenge. And also, at one stage uh, during the hard lockdown, we had quite a you know quite a significant number of people saying that they had. Uh, uh, they were unable to get uh, wheelchairs repaired or hearing aids or spectacles. They were unable to go for physiotherapy, rehabilitative uh, therapy. They were unable to go and see psychologists. So those people would have been more excluded than normal. I mean, I know if I if I didn't have, if, well, if something had gone wrong with my hearing aid during the first few months of COVID, I would really have been stuck. Um, you know, I would really have been stuck. So, and I think a lot of people had that problem, especially with wheelchairs and everything, because those are not seen as, they seem more as mechanical than as, you know, a health worker. The same thing for your, um, uh, NGO development, uh, organizations that work with people with disabilities. They obviously, had far more, um, there was call, um, a much greater than sort of pre-COVID time call for their support. Um, they also battled to uh, get vaccinated. So while they were out there in the front line, like other health workers, um, they were, you know, not getting vaccines. Um, it was a big struggle to actually get vaccines for them. Um, and then I think that the last point is really um, the whole notion about food insecurity. So we asked several questions about food insecurity and the average was around 40% of people had at some stage gone, gone without food um, during, during the period of our study, which was basically we looked back from August uh, 2021 back to March uh, 2020 when um, the lockdown and the state of disaster was first introduced. So the what we found is that, you know, around 40% of people will actually just under 39 went to bed hungry at some stage. But what was very scary was that during the two months that we uh, had the survey running online, and those people who responded, 29% uh, of them said that they had actually gone, gone to bed hungry or somebody else in the household had gone to bed hungry. Uh, 
during the past seven days. And that's after all these uh, food food interventions have been rolled out. So you've still got, you've only got a reduction of about 10% in experiences of mm. hunger. Um, because you've still got a high number there, yeah. I can only thank you for your time, Dr. Hart. These are some interesting findings and interesting conversation points. And perhaps we should probably look to next time engage this sort of conversation with some critical stakeholders in the disability space so that obviously the more the conversation takes place, the more the conversation brings to the fore the issues that really ought to be brought to the fore so that we can talk about better statistics and better targets being met, as you have lamented in part uh, during the course of this conversation. But for now, thank you so much for your time. Highly appreciated. Yeah, thank you, Sonsego. I think that's a brilliant idea. Certainly. A nice, a, nice com- a nice conversation with interesting uh, stakeholders will be vital. I know the producers so will very make much. that happen, so you can certainly look forward to that. Dr. Tim Hart, Chief Research Specialist at the Human Sciences Research Council, talking to us about the impact of COVID-19 on those living with disabilities. Let's take a short ad break before we have our final conversation. And certainly, if you are a parent and have a child in high school, and are keen for your child to explore the world, particularly the United States, you probably want to be party to this conversation and even for the next seven or so minutes have your child listening. After the break.